Genesis chapter 47, starting in verse 1. Again, this is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers, with their flocks and herds and all that they possess, have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture in your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please, let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojournings are 130. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their dependents. Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, in exchange for the grains that they brought, bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock, if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, and the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For all the Egyptians sold their fields, because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy. 
For the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh, and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field, and as food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt. And it stands to this day that Pharaoh shall have the fifth of the the land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen. And they gained possession in it, and were faithful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were the hundred and forty-seven. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt. Bury me in the burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our God remains forever. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this reading of your word. We pray now, Father, for the preaching of your word. We pray that uh, we may understand rightly this passage of Scripture, uh, that we may be led to Jesus in it, uh, that you would till deeply our hearts, planting the seeds of your gospel. May we see great fruit come, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we uh, come again to our study in Genesis, we should uh, keep in mind The covenant promises which God had made to his people through the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The promise to them was of many offspring, of land, and of nationhood. In particular, that from Abraham's bosom would come a great nation, a a multitude of nations, in fact. Fast forward to our present text, and Abraham's grandson Jacob is 130 years old. He and the covenant family have now migrated through God's providence to Egypt. And though it is hard to believe, perhaps, Jacob trusts that the Lord will fulfill his promise to him, even as his family has departed from the land of promise and have now arrived in Egypt. Jacob believed that this small group of people who had gone to Egypt would one day depart as a great nation and that they would inherit the land of promise. Now up to this point, the people of God had lived what we might call a pilgrim life. That is to say that they were a people who were passing through. They were on a journey. They were living among other nations. They did not own the land in which they sojourned. They were looking forward 
They were looking forward to the land of promise, which would come to them by the hand of God. In other words, they were a people of future hope, but present blessing. A people of future hope and present blessing. In our text today, we see some of that present blessing. They will be provided land, though not in the promised land. Rather, they will receive land from Pharaoh in the land of Goshen, in Egypt. They will have a place to settle, and they will feed their flocks there. But even that will be temporary. This is not to be their permanent dwelling place, but rather a temporary stop as they continue really living the pilgrim life. And yet, as we, we can note, that even as they take some possession of property in Egypt, the people of the nation around them will lose their property. They will give their property to Pharaoh because of the famine. All of the land of Egypt, except for the land belonging to the priests, and that which is given to Israel, all the other land will be given to Pharaoh, to the king. And we can note that the procurement of the property by the king is bracketed in our text by the giving of the land of Goshen to Israel. So it's mentioned in the text that the giving of the land is given to Israel, and then in the middle of that you have uh, you know, where Pharaoh ends up with all the land, and then again it's mentioned how the land was given to Israel. And so while the Egyptian people languish and have all of their property and wealth transferred to Pharaoh, and they do this gladly... They, they, they see this as, as a good thing because they were going to get food from it. But even as they languish and as they lose all of their wealth, the Israelites, the sons of Israel, are greatly blessed. They have possessions and wealth and grow and flourish in that place. And Joseph, we will also see, helped to enrich Pharaoh. And in the process is responsible for saving Egypt as well as saving Israel. Jacob, the patriarch of Israel, comes and blesses Pharaoh. And Pharaoh honors Israel and both Pharaoh and Israel prosper. In both cases, Joseph, the wise administrator, is hailed as the hero and savior. Well, the mutual blessing of Egypt and Israel, which will continue for some time, anticipates, though, a contrast many years later. When a new Pharaoh will arise who does not know Joseph and will curse Israel and will then himself be cursed. And so you see, actually, already a setup for what's to come in the book of Exodus which we're, we're not planning on continuing in, into Exodus, but at least you can begin to appreciate the, the, the setup of what's coming. But here you have a Pharaoh who is blessing Israel, and he himself is blessed. Israel, Jacob, blesses him. Later, you, have, you will have a Pharaoh who will curse Israel, and he himself will be cursed. In the end, uh, he, he, his, he will lose much. 
Now, there's much more that could be said here, and more that could be possibly said in such a short sermon as this. But even as the loose ends of the patriarchal years are being tied up, the stage is already being set up for the exodus of God's people out of Egypt. Because remember, uh, they are living a pilgrim life. And so as we turn our attention now to the text before us, uh, picking up the narrative in chapter 47 of Genesis, uh, Joseph, recall uh, from last time, had met with his father and his brothers. You know, they had arrived now in the land. Joseph had gone out to see them, and he gave instruction to them. He instructed his brothers of what they were to say when they met with Pharaoh. And so now that meeting was to take place. And so Joseph went to Pharaoh and he said to him, look at verse 1, My father and my brothers with their flocks and their herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. Now notice that Joseph places an emphasis on my family are shepherds. Now this is intentional on his part. It is to reassure the king that his father and his brothers have no social or political ambitions in Egypt. They have no intention of staying even. They were to be aliens and strangers in a foreign land. They were simply pilgrims, passing through for a season of time. Israel would be content to remain in the land of Goshen, away from the mainstream Egyptian society and religion and politics. Now this, of course, would have great benefits to Israel. It would protect them from intermarriage from among the Egyptians and also protect them from adopting Egyptian pagan religion. And so in announcing that the family was already in Goshen, they've already come, they're in Goshen already, Joseph's purpose was to, you might say, plant an idea in Pharaoh's mind. Namely, that since they're already in that land, perhaps Pharaoh would agree to allow them to stay there. Joseph is banking on the fact that foreign shepherds are an abomination to the Egyptians. Pharaoh would absolutely prefer that they remain away from mainstream Egyptians, that they would stay in Goshen. Although the the small family is no threat at this point, they will become so when they begin to acquire property and grow in number. And so Joseph came to Pharaoh and he brought with him five representatives from among his brothers who also appeared before the king. Now, the names of those brothers is withheld by the writer. We don't know who they were. It is of little consequence. It doesn't matter which brothers came, but they were five. The Hebrew actually suggests that there's almost uh, you know, five random brothers. You know, hey, you, you five, come, come here. We're going to go appear before Pharaoh. It should be noted, however, at this point, that Joseph doesn't bring his father. He delays bringing his father. He only brings these five brothers. Jacob will come later on after all the other formalities have been completed. And so Pharaoh asked the brothers, just as Joseph had anticipated, what is your occupation? He wants to know, what do you guys do for a living? The brothers, following Joseph's earlier instructions, responds this way. Your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. 
Now notice though that they go beyond the original instructions. They add a direct request in verse 4. It says, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please, let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Now, the brothers followed proper protocol. They refer to themselves, first of all, as servants of the king. You'll notice that. They mention this a couple of different occasions. Your servants are shepherds. They suggest, too, that the famine is much more severe in Canaan, even than it is there in Egypt. And they simply needed a temporary place to sojourn, to water their flocks, to have pasture for them. And so they asked politely, could we please remain in Goshen? And they're, they're casting themselves upon Pharaoh's goodwill and his graciousness. Now Pharaoh's response, though, is not to the brothers, but actually is directed to Joseph. This is because his goodwill is toward the sons of Israel is on account of his goodwill towards Joseph. He says in verse 5, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your fathers and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. So Pharaoh gives the family to Joseph's family the best of the land to settle in. And even extends employment opportunities to them. Ancient Egyptian inscriptions apparently speak of superintendents of royal cattle. Often, this was a position held by foreigners. In being given this position, the family of Joseph then could advance themselves in the king's administration. Even from within their own trade, they can enjoy privileges and that, that are not normally given to foreign people. And so Pharaoh is actually offering them much more than they had even asked for. And so then only after the brothers had their audience then with Pharaoh that Jacob makes an appearance. Joseph had delayed Jacob's coming. This is perhaps to protect his, father, his father's dignity as the brothers requested the use of the land. Now notice that there are some key differences between Jacob's appearance before Pharaoh and the brothers' appearance. Now the, the brothers showed deference to the king. They referred to themselves as servants of the king. Jacob doesn't do that. Jacob doesn't come and call himself the servant of the king. What he does is he stands before the Pharaoh, he stands before the great king, and he blesses him. It's very striking. Now, by worldly standards, Pharaoh is the powerful and royal benefactor. And the sons of Israel are dependent on his graciousness and his goodwill toward them. And yet the king, and perhaps this is unbeknownst to himself, the king is dependent on Jacob's blessing. Pharaoh actually needs Jacob more than Jacob really needs Pharaoh. And so Jacob blesses him. And then the king inquires as to Jacob's age. Now, the king is obviously impressed with the old man. Now, the Egyptians were, one commentator uh, noted, the Egyptians were obsessed with death. They believed that their pharaohs were eternal. And so they sought to immortalize their bodies, which is why they embalmed their kings. 
And so at 130 years old, Jacob is impressively old. And he, will, he still will live another 17 years. In ancient Egyptian culture, the ideal lifespan was 110 years. So Jacob exceeds them all. Notice that Jacob neither exalts himself, nor does he refer to himself as the Pharaoh's servant. He simply responds to the Pharaoh's inquiry. Look at verse 9. He says, The days of my years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been my, the days of my, the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the day of the, their sojourning. So Jacob compares his own lifespan to that of his father and his grandfather. Uh, Abraham, you might remember, lived to be 175. Isaac lived to be 180. His life had been comparatively short and difficult. Now Jacob's not complaining here. But he does confess the humility and difficulty of his years. Jacob has lived a hard life. Jacob's life has been scarred by treachery, by deceit. He had been taken advantage of. He had also taken advantage of others in his younger years. He himself had lied and had been lied to. He had loved and he had lost. Many tears had been shed by Jacob in his days. And furthermore, Jacob had been an alien. His entire life. Everywhere he went, he was a stranger and a foreigner. He never owned the land he sojourned in, whether it was with Laban, his father-in-law, or in the land of Canaan itself. He never owned any of it. Jacob had lived a pilgrim life. He had lived a precarious and landless existence, trusting only in the Lord each day. And yet his hope never wavered concerning the promised land. His hope never wavered concerning the promises of the God that he served. Even now, he was on a pilgrimage to the celestial city, as it were. That heavenly city. Surely he was looking forward to his eternal reward. And so there is, in Jacob's response to Pharaoh, a sobering humility. In his answer, Jacob, though, after having answered the question, cuts the interview short. He blesses, again, blesses Pharaoh. Like before, he avoids the submissive language of your servant. And then he departs from the king's presence. And the blessing here reinforces the goodwill which at this point exists between Egypt and Israel. And the king's acceptance of the blessing shows that the later Hebrews had the right to be unmolested in the land. God's blessing upon Israel and upon Pharaoh, though, is fairly immediate. Israel is given possession in the land, and then Pharaoh is blessed because he receives all the property in Egypt. And we see that Joseph settles his family He gave them possession of the best of the land, the land of Ramses. And and it should be pointed out, too, that this was what Pharaoh had commanded. Pharaoh had made this happen. Joseph didn't take the initiative on his own. Joseph didn't give it to him on his own accord. It was Pharaoh who had given the land 
It was the king of Egypt who gave the sons of Israel the land of Goshen. Now note also here in verse 11 a, a, a word possession. They were given possession. Now this word refers to property in the Hebrew or a plot of land. With a, 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 it's property with inalienable ownership rights. They weren't just given the use of it. They were given title to it. This was to be their land. This property was received by the sons of Israel from one who had the authority to give that land. They were given possession of the land from the king. This strengthens the case of Israel against the later Pharaoh who does not know Joseph, who enslaves Israel and essentially steals the land from them. Of course, the Lord will pay them back because Israel will plunder Egypt on their way out. But Joseph, though, provides for the necessities of his family. He gives them food according to the number of children and fulfillment of the promises of chapter 45, where he says that he would provide for for them for the five years of the famine. And so the covenant family is well-blessed. They're blessed with the best land for their flocks and their herds. They're given food for their families. They're given employment opportunities in the household of Pharaoh. And so again, great, great blessings are coming immediately upon Israel. Well, after recording the settlement of Jacob and his family in the land of Goshen, uh, the narrative then returns to the topic of the famine. The people of Egypt were starving. There was, verse 13 tells us, no food in the land as the, as the famine was very severe. And so both Egypt and Canaan had languished. Canaan, uh, you can also notice, mentioned three times between verses 13 through 15. And this reminds us again that if Israel had not uh, been saved out of that, that they would have languished in Canaan. They would have perished in Canaan if they had remained there. And Joseph, as a good and wise administrator, had planned for the famine during the seven years of plenty. There were storehouses which had been created with grain and food. And so he began to gather up all the money of the land as people were coming and buying food. And they were bringing all of their funds into the house of Pharaoh. But then verse 15, And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt, in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. Now the length of the famine had far exceeded the money which the people had. And so the whole region was now dependent on Joseph and his mercy to them. They asked, why should we die before you? If there was a way to keep them alive, they trusted that Joseph would do it. And so Joseph arranges a barter system. He says, give your livestock and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock. If your money is gone. Look, if you have no money, then bring your animals. So Joseph is willing to trade their livestock for food if they ran out of money. And so this is what the people did. In, in, in their distress, the people brought their animals in exchange for food. Now, the Hebrew term used here has the meaning of brought them through, 
which is the, essentially is a gentle leading of the weak through a distress through distress to a place of rest. Verse seventeen: the names of right livestock, horse, flocks, herds. This would be sheep and goats, cattle, donkeys. So here's here are the people of Egypt. They're leading their weak and sick and starving animals, which you know seems like a good trade for food. I mean, they can't feed the animals anyway. All of this then is given to Pharaoh in exchange for food. All of these presumably weak and starving animals are led to Joseph. And God's purpose for Joseph was to provide food for the people, to save them from starving. What good would it be to have all the property in the world and just die of starvation? There was no thought given to hoarding only for the household of Pharaoh and himself. Jo- Joseph wasn't you know, only looking to himself. He was looking to saving this people. For the following year, the people come again. All their money has been spent. And they had already traded their livestock to Pharaoh. And yet they still needed food. In verse 18, There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. The people offer themselves and their land. They are now in such dire straits. There is nothing left in the land. Which at this point is completely unproductive. Right? The land is producing nothing. It's desolate. All they have are their own bodies, which were at this point weak and languishing. The word which is translated bodies uh, in uh, the Hebrew is also sometimes used to speak of a corpse. They were as good as dead. Now, This may be a double meaning intended here. All that they have of value are essentially two dead things. The dead land and their dead bodies. They have nothing else left. And if they were going to die, there is no reason to hang on to it either. But Joseph can save them, they say, by buying them and buying their land so they may live. We, will, we with our land, will be servants to Pharaoh and, we will, and give a seed that we may live and not die and that the land may not be desolate. G- give us food and give us seed so we can, we can be productive and this land can be productive again. The proposal, though, was for, for the people to sell themselves to Pharaoh in exchange for food and being taken care of. This was, this was quite a reversal for Joseph. Remember, Joseph himself had been a slave, and he had become the ruler in Egypt. And now, he's a master over all Egypt. And he's willingly enslaving, you have people who are willingly enslaving themselves, asking only for seed, so they may plant Israel will remember Egypt later as the house of slavery. Egypt was the house of slavery. The slavery in Egypt did not begin with Israel, though. It began with themselves. Joseph, though, is remembered for being freed by God from slavery and being established over Egypt. Now later, Egypt will enslave Israel, but God will turn the tables on them again. And the slaves will plunder their former masters in Egypt during the Exodus. So verse 20, Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. All of the people sold their fields 
And again, the text reminds us the famine was very severe. The people themselves become servants from one end of Egypt to the other. And again, it is stressed that these transactions were for the benefit of Pharaoh, not Joseph. The people go to Joseph and sell themselves to Pharaoh. The only land which is not purchased was the land of the priests because they already had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh. Therefore, they did not need to sell their land. Only the Egyptian priests and Israel do not become serfs in the land. And Joseph, of course, is related to both Israel by blood and the Egyptian priests by marriage. The people of Egypt, though, are reduced to nothing, really, not what amounts to tenant farmers under the lordship of the state. They have given themselves and their land. And have, and have been given food and seed to plant with. And the people were to work the land, and they could keep 80% of their produce, and then the 20% was fixed as a tax. Now, by modern standards, this may seem excessive, but by ancient standards, 20% is actually quite low. The average in the ancient world was about a third. The people were allowed to keep four-fifths of their produce after the royal tax, which actually shows the king's generosity toward them. This would allow them to do more than just survive the down times. They could, they could thrive in the good times. They could plant and grow and potentially start buying property again. Now notice, too, that the people, they don't view Joseph as a tyrant. They don't see him as having, you know, taken our land No, he's seen as a savior. Verse 25, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants of Pharaoh. They're grateful to Joseph for what he has done for them. By the way, their attitude should mitigate some of our our modern attitude towards Joseph's actions. Perhaps as you read this or hear this, you think about our own uh, own political ideas in the modern world, and this is uncomfortable. But we should should keep in mind that the people didn't view it the way we're viewing it. They saw this as a good thing. The Egyptians gladly submitted submitted to Joseph's plan. In fact, this was their plan that Joseph put in place. Joseph then made the arrangement a law in the land, which continued even up to the time of the writing of Genesis, which again means that this law was still active during the time of Exodus. All the land, except that owned by the priests, the people of Israel, were given to Pharaoh. And one-fifth of the produce of the land. Now again, in contrast to the languishing Egyptians, Israel was blessed. They were in a completely different situation. They were independent in the land of Goshen. They had all of their property, and they had all of their holdings, and they were given more, and they were prospering, they were multiplying there. So the Lord maintained His promise of blessing. And here, He even used the benevolence of Pharaoh as a means of blessing His own people. In Jacob's younger years, the Lord had blessed him during his time in Paddan Aram, remember, with his father-in-law Laban. There, Jacob had acquired much in the way of holdings. He had acquired sheep and goats and cattle. He was blessed with many children. 
Now Israel is being blessed again, but now as a nation, Israel is being blessed as a nation. They are continuing to be fruitful and multiply. And this was all in fulfillment of God's promises to them and God's blessing upon them. The prosperity of Israel, though, does signal something of an ominous note. Because this prosperity of Israel, the blessings that they were enjoying, is the reason that Egypt will begin to fear Israel. This is the reason that that Egypt and this Pharaoh later will take them into bondage and, and take their land from them. It's noted in verse 28 that Jacob lived in the land of Egypt for 17 years. That's interesting. 17 years, Joseph had lived the first 17 years of his life being cared for by his father, Jacob. Jacob lives the last 17 years of his life cared for by his son, Joseph. Jacob lived a a shorter life than his ancestors had. In addition, the length of his life is given before the narration of his death, which departs from the normal uh, procedure in Genesis. Uh, We're told about his coming death, but then we don't really see it until uh, later on. Although Jacob would die in Egypt, his fate is not tied up with Egypt. As one commentator put it this way, Egypt was to Jacob and his family what the ark was to Noah. A temporary shelter from the disaster on the outside. When the time, though, came for his death, Jacob called his son Joseph to him. Look at verse 29. He says, If now I have found favor in your sight... Put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in the burying place. Jacob doesn't see his time in Egypt as being a permanent place for himself. In fact, he doesn't even want to be buried in Egypt. He insists that he not be buried in Egypt. He wants to lie in the grave of his fathers. He wants to lie in the place where Leah is buried as well. And he will make his instructions more specific later on. Joseph, though, was to swear to his father. So the seriousness of Jacob's request is seen in the oath he asked Joseph to take. And he says, if I have found favor in your sight, if I have found favor in your sight, you will do this. Swear to me you will do this. It's said on a few occasions here. But Jacob understands that he's dependent on his son's goodwill. The right performed in the oath that is given here mimic that which was taken by Abraham and his servant in chapter 24. Jacob does not want to be buried in Egypt. His hope was bound up in the promises of God. And although he will die outside of the land of Canaan, he desired to be buried where his inheritance was to be. The text then ends with Israel bowing himself. Uh, The Hebrew here is ambiguous. So there are a number of different interpretations. You'll probably find that in a number of translations too. It seems likely though he's bowing in worship. In other words, he has made his request, but he turns to God in worship and in prayer. The point is, 
That, it, that Jacob's hope is not bound where he is sojourning. His, his, his hope was not bound up in the place where he was at. His hope was in the Lord and in the Lord's promises. Well, beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to know, too, that the Christian's hope is not bound up in the place that we sojourn either. Our hope is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our eternal inheritance, and from whom we have rest. You and I find ourselves living, as it were, in a land that is not our own. We are sojourners in this place. We are seeking that better country. We are seeking the heavenly place. But this this heaven-bound mindset, looking to the things above, does not mean that we are to be unconcerned about the, the here and now either. But our looking forward is looking forward to future glory. And this changes the way we live now. We live in light of God's great grace and mercy. We are children of God, fellow heirs with Christ. The Apostle Paul says, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also be glorified with Him. Then he goes on to say in Romans chapter 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Like Jacob before us, like all who have trod this earth before us, we suffer in this fallen world. Jacob confessed his life as being short and difficult. Isn't this a summary of life? Our life is short and difficult. And yet, with Jacob, his future hope was also a present hope. He was hopeful for God's promises. And you and I are hopeful people too. The Lord is committed to His people, not only to provide for our future, but to our present, to bless us, even as He was blessing His people. God took care of His wandering people in the days of the patriarchs. He took care of His people as they sojourned in Israel. He would take care of His people as they wandered in the wilderness. He would take care of the people even as they took possession of the land, and God takes care of His people now as well. God takes care of you and me. Because in Christ we have better promises. By faith in Jesus, our sins have been atoned for by His blood. He has given us an eternal inheritance. And He has, by His Spirit, empowered us to live for Him, putting to death sin which remains in us. Because we have been raised with Christ and our life is hidden in Him. The heavenly blessings then are not only future, but they are even for you a present reality. We hope and we rest in Christ for the future, but even here, now. When Jacob came before Pharaoh, he blessed him. The Lord God blessed Israel. In Christ, you and I have been blessed, not with land and property, We've been necessarily blessed with tangible things of the world merely, but with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Because we were chosen before the foundation of the world to be be made holy and blameless by the righteousness of our Savior, 
Jesus Christ. And so we long, don't we, for that better country? Don't we wait in an eager anticipation? And yet, even now, we enjoy the fruit of justification, adoption, and sanctification. We enjoy the fruit of what Christ has done in us and is continuing to do in us. Jacob didn't see the land promise come to fulfillment in his life. He, he knew, he was very well aware that he would die in Egypt. He would not get to see the fulfillment of God's promise. And yet, Jacob was sure, he was sure of his inheritance. Beloved congregation, live in eager anticipation. Be sure of your inheritance in Christ. Trust in the promises of God. Know that already you are a citizen of that better country. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and for your promises. And we thank you that you've given us faith that we can trust in you. And yet we do confess at times that we, we lack faith. That we have a hard time that we, we believe, but then we have unbelief in us. Oh God, help us to live each day anticipating your faithfulness to your promises. That you are, give, you are giving great grace to your people. And that we have wonderful fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, because of you. May our lives be lived out with great hope for the future, but even for now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.